Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia Frico. I'm here with Sarah McDooling. And today we are ecstatic to have Melina Marchetta with us, uh, promoting her new book, The Place on Dalhousie. There we go. <laughs> Place on Dalhousie. I got it. Ecstatic is the word. It really is. I've been looking forward to this all week. Thank you. <laughs> so do you want to tell us a little bit about The Place on Dalhousie? Um, it's a story about two women um, who um, refuse to move out of a home they both believe belongs to them and it's pretty much about the community they build in and around that house and once Jimmy Haler comes into that house they're kind of forced to use the stairs quite a few times to meet them each other in the middle so it's it's a a story about community that's I suppose that's the best way that I can describe it. You um you you always write these books that have such beautiful little connections and coincidences in them. Do you like does that take an epic amount of planning or does it just sort of come naturally? I don't know if it comes naturally. The thing about those coincidences is you have to make sure that you deliver them well. So you kind of know at the back of your head that this and this is going to happen, but if you pick the wrong time to reveal Um, it it won't work so for me I have to wait to see if it works and if it doesn't that just becomes a scene in the novel rather than you know a coincidence that Mm. bonds it but there are certain things that I'll tell you off mic that were definitely planned because I thought it just um, it just kind of really tied up the connections between certain people. You nail it every time and, and every time I'm reading one of your books particularly in this latest one, which had me laughing and crying all over the place, you get to one of those moments, it's like a story beat and everything comes into sharp focus. And I find myself wondering that moment, is that where the story began for you? or um... You know, because I, I keep on, um, this was a strange book to say where it began because obviously some of the characters belong to other books. Um, I also started thinking of this novel and then Tell the True Shame the Devil came to me and I had to put it aside. And I know why I had to put it aside because I think I hadn't really explored where they were at and then I got to a stage where I did. I think deep down I always knew it would start with that um, connection of two people during that flood. Um, and I knew that somehow these three people would end up in the same house or, or four people. And... That to me was the beginning. The three characters, that house, that was the beginning of the story for me. Um, the hardest part was that I thought there'd be a fourth narrator because there are three narrators mm-hmm. in this book. I thought there's a character, Ewan. I thought it would be Ewan's story as well. And I realised that he's still such an important part of the story. I don't think it's because I didn't have enough. Um, because I could have explored different aspects, but I, I still felt that for me the core was that tri- it wasn't not a triangle, but just that um, you know Jimmy, Martha, and, and Rosie. So um, Ewan lost a voice, but he certainly was still the heart, you know, one of the hearts of the story. Very, yeah, very much so. That's yeah. interesting to me to know that yeah. he was once going to be a POV yeah. character. Yeah. Sometimes the absence and the silence of the character, not that he's silent in yeah. the novel, but sometimes the absence ends up saying a lot more than you intend. Definitely, and, and I an think effect. that that was the case of um, Jimmy in The Piper's Son. He wasn't forgotten in The Piper's Son. He was absent, but I wanted his absence to really be felt. 
Um, and it was. I mean, it was felt by me, but it was certainly felt by, you know, readers. And, you know, I could say that the same thing applies to, you know, other books that, you know, um, and even in this book, the character of Seb Gennaro who mm. built that house, I'd like to think that people feel his absence um, regardless of, you know, the fact that he's been dead a couple of years, but he was such a vibrant character and he meant so much to some of these characters. So um, it's quite deliberate that they live on those pages and that they're not forgotten um, just because, you know, they, they haven't been mentioned for a couple of pages. Well, he is so present. He's at the heart of this mm. book. Um, but, yeah, we never actually meet him. Yeah. And I think that's – I don't think many people can do that. Like, no. Um, so, I mean, wow. <laughs> I think that if I didn't do that, though, then you would not understand the, the depth of Rosie and Martha's emotions and that anger between them. If, if Seb wasn't kind of another character, um, I don't think that that would be as, you know, I suppose, um, understandable. Mm. Um, so I had to make sure. Um, and also... You know, too many times you're watching a film and someone dies and then, you know, the next couple of scenes then forgotten about. And anyone knows that that doesn't happen with death and um, you know, especially the death of a parent in the case of mm-hmm. Martha still grieving over mm-hmm. her mother, regardless of what age Martha is, you know, you don't stop. So I just wanted those people who are no longer in the story or, you know, having been dead a couple of years, I still wanted them present in that house especially. So... Mm-hmm. Was there anything, um, I mean, you've told us a little bit already, but anything about the pro- during writing this book that really took you by surprise, aside from having to lose a, one of your POV characters? Um, there, there are always a few connections that take me by surprise. I always say that I know how it begins. I know how it ends. I just don't know how to get there. <laughs> and there was a time in the kind of the third part of the story, um, not part three, but kind of the third um, part, where I just thought I need a bit more time except I didn't want to have three full-on chapters and I knew I had to continue that raid of this is um, Rosie's, this is Martha's, this is Jimmy's point of view. So near the end of, you know, part two, they're quite short, the chapters, um, but they still kind of stay in that order because um, you do, like, by the time you're reading, writing second or third draft, you think, oh, I, I still want to explore this. Um, and I think that there were one or two things that I didn't explore that I don't regret, but there, there wasn't a place um, mm. for them um, and probably more to do with um, Martha's friends. I really loved Martha's friends and I could have got into that um, a lot more, but I just think it's the right size. You know, sometimes you write a book that's 10 pages too long or 10 pages too short. So for me, I had to make sure that the reader, by that very last line, that they think this this is perfect the way it is. Oh, and that's definitely the feeling I got at, at the end of yeah. this book. I get it from all your books. This book I just wanted to applaud. It's such a – not obviously going to spoil anything about what happens, <laughs> but it was just a really pitch-perfect ending. Yeah. <laughs> So Sarah is a long-time fan of you, Melina, and I know that so many Australians have grown up with your books, so um, there's a few connections to all the characters in there. Like, Do you feel the pressure to revisit? Re- yeah, to re- not only to revisit a lot of these characters, even if only briefly, but to please the generations of readers that have grown with you? Or 
No, I don't feel the pressure. I'm aware of it. Um, mm. If I didn't feel as if Jimmy had a story, I would never have written it. I would have mm. just answered that question in the same way as I answer the question, will Ella Brundy have a sequel? No. Mm. Um, whereas with this, I felt his presence. As I said, that absence in um, the Piper Sun stayed with me. But in saying that, I thought, I say this almost to all the characters in a strange <laughs> way, come with me. Uh, come to me with a story and and I'll contemplate it. And I, I just thought it made all the sense in the world that um, I think it's why I love the title of the first um, part, which was also the title of the first, um, you know, short story of When Rosie Met Jim because, you know, for me, um, Rosie and Jim's Jimmy's connection was always going to be, you know, the beginning of this story. Um, you're, you're somewhere, I think when I was writing... Um, the Piper Sun, I was so aware of the fact that people would want more of not just Francesca but Francesca and Will and I sort of um, broke my rule and allowed Will into that story when Will was really overseas. Will's always overseas. Will, <laughs> Will was overseas. But my rule to myself was make sure that Will contributes something to Tom's story and he does. I think that mm. Will's um, what Tom kind of learns from Will um, about relationships, about, you know, dealing with, um, you know, people, especially for someone so introverted like Will, I just thought I'd put him to work and that's that's the thing. Um, but I'm just aware of, you know, I, I mean, I'm curious about how they'll feel about this strand of the story. I have this nightmare vision that someone who loves Saving Francesca and the Piper's Son will just read Jimmy's chapters um, and I hope they don't do that because they will miss out on so much of Jimmy um, if they do that. I can't imagine anyone being able to I, do I that. Hope, I hope. I mean, I, I sometimes I remember, you know, with uh, and it wasn't because they were missing out on, um, you know, thought they were missing out, but, you know, when I remember people's reaction to Jellico. I know some people who hadn't read the italics. I think, how can this story that make sense? Work. I know, I know. So it's just things like that. But um, it, it, you know, you're aware of them, but you're certainly not catering to what a reader wants because everyone wants something different, and you'll be disappointing. You know, if you if you make one person happy, you'll be disappointing someone else. So um, and it's still your story. Yeah, you still want it, to maintain some sense of ownership. Exactly, over what exactly. And it could backfire if I you know, tried to make everyone happy with these characters. But I made myself happy. And the one thing I've learned from my readership is I feel as if we're very in tuned, that what I love in my stories, especially the readers who have kind of pretty much either read everything or read all the contemporary ones, I think if I really feel strongly about it, I get a sense that they will. Um, so, you know, that's that's how I kind of um, deal with it. I think that um, part of it as well is that, you seem to not always know, like you've just mentioned earlier, I'm going to struggle too. I'm, I'm having a weird nebulous thought and it's not fully done yet, so I'm going to try and get it out. All of my thoughts are nebulous. Yeah. Oh, I'm interested in those thoughts probably more than anything. So well, when we're, you were, we're much better on paper. <laughs> we got time to like think it through. This is just starting in my brain. Yeah. But when you were talking earlier about um, Martha's Friends and what a great mm. group they are, and it really occurred to me that every every book you write, every character, no matter how sidelined to the story they are um is fully realized and you do get the sense that there's just whole 
world going on with these characters. There's no kind of filler characters. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know if you knew when you wrote Saving Francesca that you'd be back with these guys um, at the time and maybe just because those characters are so well realised, mm. the story kind of comes. I think that um, my rule to myself, especially if not for every single character in a novel, um, but most characters who belong to their world, I'm not saying that I give them a line or a sentiment, but there's something that I put in to remind the reader they're not just a name, they are Mm. a character. And it could be someone, even, you know, someone in Tell the Truth, Shame the Devil who might come across, I think, Elizabeth, one of the friends, you know, from the past who's a bit of a frenemy and she seems really kind of hardened and the whole thing. But just kind of finding out a tiny bit about her life, it's those little bits that make them human. They're still flawed but you make them human. And I I go back to Francesca and Tom, um, and I remember there was a line in Saving Francesca, something along the lines of, you know, Tom saying, um, who was still Thomas Mackey, the bit of a pain, um, but he talks about his father. He he says, I want to be the first um, Mackey who makes it to 40 with a liver intact, you know. (laughs) And I thought that line for me was, watch this space, there's more to this boy and there's more to this boy's life. And I think that's what you have to do with characterization. You you have to put in those dimensions. And, you know, it, it, it could be um, the, the main character's relationship with that character or it could be something on its own. But they're real to me. I think I feel mm. that they're real to me. And um, I could write about any of those characters, I feel, as if I could, you know, go on. Um, so they're, they're enough for me to say, okay, could you write a novel about them? Yeah, I could. It would be a different type of novel, but I could. And that's how I they get to that. stay. Mm. And I love that the books you've written around this particular group of friends are not – so having read Saving Francesca um, and loved it, I never expected to see these characters mm. again. And then with the Piper Sun, if you'd asked me what the story would be, I would never have guessed that's what the story yeah. would be, but it's so perfect. And it's the same thing here. If you'd asked me what might happen to Jimmy, in no way, realm ever, would I have guessed that this is what he would yeah. do, but it's 100% right. Like, yeah. And I feel the same way. I, I never met, I didn't plan that, but it just, it felt so right where I placed him, um, who I placed him with. Um, and it's, of course, still holding on to that, that world of the past, as in, you know, his friends. Um, it's just hard when you're writing about them at three different age groups because you mm-hmm. have to make sure that they have moved on, that it's not all happily ever after, that they're still kind of challenged, they're still they're still struggling with certain things. Um, and that, to me, is the realism of it. And I think the hardest thing is working out you know, who they're with, are they still with them? Uh, you know, I had to recently talk about some of the research and I interviewed my young cousin who's in her 20s. She'd be probably about 28 or 29 now. And she met her partner when she was 17 while she was still at school. And, you know, everyone always says you don't end up with the first guy um, you fall in love with or the guy that you fell in love with when you were 17. But I've, I know so many people who have. I know so many people who are with them 25 years later and so I had to research her and say, what is it that makes this work? And she just said, you know, we're best friends and 
we allowed each other at the beginning to have each other, our own friends. And um, that was not to say that there wasn't conflict in those relationships. So I'm kind of going to a source to make sure that I've got that right. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard because sometimes they go into a direction that you think, well, I don't know if I like that direction or... Um, but there are some things that I'm so sure about and other things that I'm still kind of tossing up about. Um, it took me a while for really to work out um, Rosie's, the, the people Rosie starts connecting with. Um, so, you know, I played around with them quite a lot, but I just, the one thing that sticks in my head was just how assertive one of them was and how it kind of really drove her crazy. So <laughs> it was just kind of, you know, every time I'd go into an edit, I'd, fine-tune and fine-tune and I now love those relationships whereas others came a lot easier Mm. we haven't spoken that much about Rosie she's she's wonderful I love her so much um with her and Martha um I just wanted to ask you how you balance like you've got these these characters that the reader feels for so strongly and understands so well but they're not always nice to each other or to other people and they're like difficult prickly people and is that hard to write like so Um, that you keep that balance not as hard because it's funny because I really love them so it's funny (laughs) when um someone said to me when they were they read the first draft oh can you make um Rosie a bit nicer I think I love Rosie how you know so it's funny because I see them in a different light but what it proves to me is maybe that light that I'm seeing them in I'm not putting on the page, then I have to go back. Um, But, you know, I was reading a fantastic review this morning and, um, you know, they were saying that um, I don't care whether I write girls that you mightn't like. Um, You know, it's basically they're girls who are trying to work out. um, They actually don't care whether you like them or not. Mm -hmm. They're trying to work out who they are. And I think that with... Someone like Rosie and and a lot of other character characters, and I'll go back to Tom Mackey in The Piper's Son. He is so unlikable at the beginning. I know people love him, you know, from his from the other book, but he, he's pretty awful, I have to say, in the first couple of chapters. And so I had to make sure that the reader isn't reading it, thinking, uh, "Why would I invest in this character who's treating his friend so badly?" And I gave him um, his. Um, email address is Annabelle's brother and to me that shows to the audience the readers you know what he's a great brother Um, Mm -hmm. and so then I could kind of still have him as a flawed character but the readers thinking there's there's something more to him and with Rosie it's the same like Rosie I mean her care of old people you know, this very this girl who cannot connect really with a lot of people, but she's amazing with, um, you know, looking after the elderly. I just think that that says a lot about her. So I put that in so that you will want to hang out with her and see how things turn out for her. Um, and you know, she's they they have damaged lives. They've they've had tragedy in their life more than any other. They've they've had more tragedy than I've had in my life. So I've just got to make sure that I care about them and that I somehow not make them redeemable, but they're real because of the fact that um, it's what you see is what you get, but they, they have a great capacity to love. I think you love them more for it. I, you I can't, characters. Yeah, like, I can't characters. I can't see characters that are too 
too perfect and they never offend anyone. Like yeah. the nature of life is you just brush up against other people and you're not always going to brush up smoothly. Yeah. So I love that. And she there I love her prickliness as well. I can't imagine anyone reading her and not falling for her like a ton of bricks. But I just guess when I'm reading it I wonder whether because it's so when you're in her particularly when you're in her point of view mm. and she's being standoffish and mm. pushing people away but you know mm. what she's going through and your heart breaks and you just want yeah you just want so much for her to like let her guard down just a little bit um and it must be as as the person steering that yeah. <laughs> must be hard to like to I don't know put her through so much yeah <laughs> it's it is hard because I put my characters through terrible things <laughs> um but it's just it's always finding that balance and always making sure that they come across real. Of course they're fictional characters, you know, but that they come across real and that you think to yourself, I've met that girl. Um, I've met that girl. I've met Rosie. I've met a lot of those characters. Yes. Um, and, you know, you can kind of butt heads with them one day and just hang out with them the next and... There's something, there's an integrity to them that you really trust and, you know, all the important things they tick the box and there's a whole lot more of unimportant things that they mightn't tick but they are a whole lot more of unimportant and I just think that, um, you know, her her sense of loyalty, the way, as I said, she deals with other people um, and, you know, just I like the fact that she fails at things and you think how is she going to get off this groove but I've been there I've been in situations where you think I will never get and it's like you're standing on a railway station and you'll never get on that train you know but you do and I just think that that was what was important with that character and and Jimmy as well because Mm. you know Jimmy's going to be loved because of the other books but you know he he's just such a lost soul um, and I don't want it to be that lost soul in a romantic way of, you know, the way we forgive male characters for being lost and vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he makes mistakes and um, he could end up continue making mistakes if he doesn't sit back and, um, you know, kind of see that there could be really bad re- repercussions to that. So I, I like the way he's, you know, there's particular scenes where he's, you know, one or two of his friends really challenge him and there's there's anger, but it's like, you know, you're not a kid anymore. You can't you, know, you can't keep on making excuses in life. So, yeah, um, and I think you get to that stage. I always say that as you get older, I'm not saying not, nothing much changes. For me, Martha and Rosie are such at a similar t- place in their life. They're dealing with grief. They're dealing with new relationships, friendships, trying to work out their place. But I think when you're older, there's a lot more collateral damage. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the one thing that these characters have to learn. They get older and it's not just about themselves. They're not the only one who's going to be influenced by their failures. You know, someone else will. And that's one thing that I was trying to kind of reinforce. Oh, and it was done so well. <laughs> I just I have so much I just have so much love for this book. Um, I know it's one that I'm going to be reading multiple times. Mm-hmm. I feel confident to say, you know, yes, if you've read if you've read previous books, you're going to come in with a lot of love for certain characters. But even if you haven't, like I can't imagine anyone picking up this book and it's the first book of yours they've yeah. ever read and them not coming away just full of wonderful emotion. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
I like the fact that people have grown up with the characters, but I also love that people are picking it up for the first time and saying, I actually want to see what they were like when they were younger. Um, and, yeah, so it's kind of I don't think that there's a right or wrong way or an order. You know, some people have said, should I read the other two before this? And I just say, no, read this and then, you know, work yeah. out, you know, you can go all over the place. But um, it's just really snapshots of, um, you know, these, I'll call them kids, they're not kids anymore, but at three different times in their lives. Um, but I always feel as if I give enough to the older characters to know that that could also be them in, you know, mm. 20 years. Um, still dealing with friendships that are prickly. I mean, Martha, her friendships are prickly. She is a prickly character. Um, you know, her relationship or her romantic relationships are, you know, just as kind of, um, you know, <laughs> troublesome as um, Rosie's um, is. But it's just more of um, it's sometimes age is the only thing that changes. The numbers change, but the feelings don't change at mm. all. So. And you just, I mean, it's one of my favourite things is when you have these two characters, in this case Rosie and Martha, who as the readers, privy to both their, their inner worlds, oh. you know that they are so alike in many ways and that they are the only ones that can really help yeah. each other through this, but they are so far apart emotionally yeah. and watching them kind of tentatively navigate all of that grief um, and pain. Well, the important amazing. thing for me, I did not take sides. Um, yeah. And I would say don't take sides. You can't. Because yeah. if you can't take sides... Both of them do have a claim to that home mm. um, and that house, and both of them should take responsibility for the way their relationship began um, all those years ago because they were both responsible for that. So it's just a case of, I mean, you've been in those situations many times with friends or family where you can kind of see both sides of it and it's like deal with it, work it out yourselves, we're still going to be here for you. Um, and that, that's what I really want for these two characters um, because they, they've both got a right to feel the way they do. Yeah, not and as we see in life so often, conflicts don't always have a, a, a villain and a hero. Yeah. Like there's mm-hmm. just a lot, of, a lot of explosive emotion to deal yeah. with. <laughs> Thank you so much thank for coming you. this has been an amazing chat thank you so thank you and you can pre-order is it, wait when does it come out it's out on tuesday tuesday so very soon so get excited everyone and you can pre-order the place on dalhousie from booktopia thank you thank you thanks for listening to the booktopia podcast don't forget to subscribe to us on soundcloud and itunes and if your eyeballs need a workout Check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget, for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.